the beautiful thing. All right, so everyone, we're recorded. Welcome, Shlomo. Welcome to the 2021 20, Know the Rules of the Game vodcast. You visually can see us. Save retail, enhance e-commerce, promoting small businesses. I'm your host, Desiree Patnell. I'm the CEO and President of Women in Housing Real Estate Ecosystem, NAWRB, and also the Chairwoman of NRB Diversity and Equity and Inclusion Leadership Council. And we could go on and on and on, but who cares? It's not about me. It's about Shlomo, who's here. So a little background. He is the Managing Partners of Case Equity Partners and Creator Retail OS Platform. Look at that. Besides that beautiful smile, we love, love, love. In 2003, Shlomo left the kitchen business to join an early prop tech company. Soon thereafter, he started investing in commercial real estate. Yeah, yeah. And with the advent of the global financial crisis, found a company that is now a leader in the field of real estate debt restructuring. In 2017, Shlomo founded Shutful Fulfill Corp and filed a patent dealing with retail and e-commerce fulfillment from within a shopping center environment, which was granted in 2021. Hey, we're current. Um, with additional patents pending. So over the course of his career, Shlomo has participated, led over $2 billion, with a B, worth of transactions and representations. So welcome, Shlomo. We're going to get into your bio a little bit later, but I want to introduce you and say thank you, thank you. But we're going to do it with a fun fact. So I know you're like, Desiree, there's nothing new. You know me so well. So welcome, welcome. <laughs> thank you so much for having me, Desiree. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that I could tell a little about that's fun about you is most people don't realize that he's in this very suit as he's in his business suit and I'm matching and we're matching orange and purple, very complimentary of each other. But he actually underneath that, he has this incredible personality that you would never believe that he could laugh and this is gonna be a fun, fun, fun. So loosen up everyone. We're gonna go at it because this is a challenge, not only from the your intellectual, but also how to have fun for the morning on Wednesday, wind down Wednesday, right? Oh my God, I'm ready. All right, bring it on. Okay, so this is really about, if you think of the passion of small businesses leaving the future, let's talk about, let's dig into the weeds on, you know, you've done so many different things. You've done so many different companies. You know, we look at 2008, the restructuring of debt, you're restructuring this commercial, commercial retail, the biggest thing that's going on right now, you know, almost every state is, is dealing with different things that are going down. How have you seen this coming in the forefront? You talked about this, we know, for years. And here we are today, something that you were the, the a very huge inspiration and you started taking it on many years ago. So why? What brought that to the table? I remember the first time someone brought it up to me. I was uh, talking to someone about investing in a shopping center. I'm like, but don't you see Amazon as being the way of the future? I'm like, ah, I don't know, online shopping, people going to the store. You know, then you had, I don't know, not 56K modems, but it was DSL, right? So it wasn't that quick. And just trying to like sort of reconcile with it and think, well, the guy's just being overly pessimistic. <clears throat> but over time, the market spoke for itself. Companies started changing how their stores, where the stores are located, how many stores they have, the size of their stores. And then you saw something really interesting happen where everybody tried copying Amazon and the craziness about it is that Amazon wasn't making money. So <clears throat> long story short, we now, you know, I saw this coming from a mile away. The question is what to do about it, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> they say necessity is the mother of invention. So I was working on a, a site here in New York. Uh, it was a 6,300 acre site, depending on how much we were able to take down. And in, I don't know, not 2008, probably 2003, 2004, maybe five, whatever the year was, we had a potential shopping center development on it. And then fast forward several years later, the deal's still available because we could make a deal and we revisited it. 
-hmm. and the tenants that were interested in going to the shopping center were no longer there. It's like, okay, so what do we do with this now? We could put a warehouse on. I'm like, hold on. What if I can actually bring the product closer to the shop, make the shop smaller so they pay rent on a smaller space, but have so much product in the store and help them with e-commerce and all that stuff. And then it hit me right away. It's like, everything's changing. Everyone's trying to be like e-commerce. E-commerce doesn't have a store. On the other hand, stores don't have e-commerce. What if we could put them together and make them both profitable? Hi, Brad, just like cars, right? You're breaking it down, you're re-shifting the stuff. Um, and I love it because the idea is, is that not everyone has the time, space, or the energy to keep a storefront beauty. It, it, there's a, there's a, a designer um, and a display. You know, Most people don't realize that they change the storefront every single month. I mean, the staff, the management to change that big footprint. And here you are keeping a smaller footprint, right? We're talking about and have a bigger back end to, to fulfill it because you just have to have a scene. And someone like me, yes, I'm a baby boomer. Okay, let's get over it. Is, is that I like to touch and feel everything versus then, oh yeah, let me think about it. Let me see it. Because if it doesn't fit me, it doesn't it doesn't have that a right a feeling sensory, it's different. And so, you know, dealing with the um, what you're doing in the retail and all that kind of stuff, it's powerful because you're keeping the sensory of communication and touch, but they're also supplying the bulk orders of it. I think that's powerful, powerful. So you yes, got and just so you know, by the way, it's not just baby boomers. There are studies that say that Gen Z's, the late, the youngest people, even people that look at me like grandpa, they actually, nope. they actually want to go to the mall, right? They want to touch and feel. And quite frankly, I remember when in the beginning of the e-com craze in like early 2000s, um, there was a company that wanted to put little devices in the computer to create scents that you could smell things when you go to the computer and mm -hmm. never took off a bus of like so many, so many other stuff, but that that's interesting. When you talk about one other point with regards to small, with regards to small business, right? Who, you know, the challenge of retail is going out of business. Who's put them out of business? Those are really small businesses, but small businesses, forget about even like, like you said, you know, managing a store, which even if you could do it and you could do a lot of it, you may not do it right. But actually, if you think about it, just getting the store started up, yeah. there's just so many barriers to entry which we could delve into. And the question is, how do you help these companies that put the big guys out of business? Not because they want to do it, because the consumer voted with their wallet. How do you help them become sustainable long-term and profitable and take away these barriers to entry? And that's some of the stuff that we're trying to do. I love it. Well, you think it's supply chain. You look at the fact that what's going on with, you know, just simple thing like, you know, my personal home here with getting windows and you know, the hard was sitting over in another country and, and it took an extra five months. That supply chain of having a smaller footprint, but they're actually keeping the back end and that's your, your core, right, to keep it going. And I love you talked about, you know, the smells going into it. You know, it's just envisioning the smaller footprint between having music piped in, having, you know, a coffee go in there having something that actually entices them to come in just as a gathering like look at starbucks starbucks made a footprint you know that you know every time you went in what it looked like what food they were going to have you know what the environment is going to be every single one was clockwork you do that in what you're talking about a small environment people then want to come they want to touch they walk in they have all the, the supplies back there they don't have to have 50 sizes and they go with the thing and that's a big deal so love love yes, love but you have all 50 sizes on site <laughs> that's, that's right thing, right it's it's there but you don't have to actually put it out and use a valuable retail space when you have it and we have it done otherwise. So there's, there's a lot more to dig down on, but generally absolutely spot on. Well, think about this.
gosh, Salama, I just thought about this. If you were to have a mannequin, like say, for example, I'm always coordinated in color outfit wherever I go. You notice the color. Yeah. First time I've ever done this with you too. A year and a half doing this. I'm thinking, why am I not wearing an orange shirt like my thing? But anyway, side the point. So if we were to take, so see how special you are. So if we were to take. I'm, <laughs> I'm flattered. You should be. I, I am? Mean, okay. okay, so being fair, everyone on the call, I literally for a year and a half have been locked down. Y'all know that I get on an airplane every single week and fly somewhere. Here I was, 16 months locked down, my very first flight. I took Slomo and I went to a family office conference at DC Finance at the World Trade Center. Then we went out to dinner. So I physically not only met him on a clubhouse, very first, I flew to New York, sat down, had dinner, went to a conference, and came back. And so here we are on very first person on Clubhouse on Another Rules of Game, right? This is the Sassy Slomo, you're special. I <laughs> anyway, so moving forward. So Think about this. If you were to have mannequins of, you know, if you're into fashion, let's say, let's say it's a fashion store, and you were to have the full ensemble sets, and you had five or six different ones there, and you had a couple pieces of each of the garments so they could physically feel just one, there you go. That would contents what, 20% of the store into just those few items, and then you had something else that would complement it, that would be huge. I would walk in there, and, oh, I see that vision. I want that. I love the way it touches and feels. No, I can mismatch this. I want to order that. That would be huge. And you get it in the backyard. Well, that's what merchandising is, right? Essentially bringing products together in an environment that can tell people to buy it, right? Putting the right products together side by side. Um, I think I think what's interesting about what, what you're saying, and at least another part of what we're doing, right? There are online brands, small businesses that have great products, okay? Right but they have one or two great products. The smallest store you'll find even, I mean, it's gonna be a thousand, 1200 square feet. Otherwise you end up with a bowling alley potentially. Um, and the question is like, how do you make that work? Think about it. Even if I give you a 250 square foot space and you hire one person, your payroll costs for what you have are through the roof. Right. How do you help a small business benefit from retail but not lose its pants, right? And really what it comes down to is that when you have an environment that actually is turnkey for a small brand and you can merchandise a popular brand's product with a up and coming brand's product and they both feed off each other, right? They bring the buzz, they bring the established customer, right? An established customer doesn't mean that they have, you know, they're huge companies, small companies. But what, what real estate's tried doing until now, which has been an absolute failure, is to say, okay, we'll give them two options. One will slap down something on a table and say, oh, we have online digital brands that great come in and shop with them. Or we're just going to give them a space. You figure it out. We just rent you space and have a good day. Well, in the first situation, in the first narrative, you're stuck. You're, you're might as well be in the middle, middle of Macy's just having things piled up. In the second scenario, um, you, you, you can't operate a store on your own and you can't you can't bring enough customers in. Even if you did $100 million, which for a startup e-commerce business is great, $100 million nationally, divide that by the major markets, and you couldn't bring enough people into the store, right? And, and it's not like you're going to get like the prime location where everyone walking by, no. And even if you did, people were right by you because they don't have any brand awareness. So the point is, how do you get these brands to shine? The way you get them to shine 
is by helping other brands help them. And it's a cross-pollination. And do it in a way where there's low to no barrier of entry, where you integrate the e-commerce so they save on their core business as a result of what they're doing in the retail. And do it in a way where you look at real estate as not just leasing of four walls, mm-hmm. but something way much more. Leasing of four walls, of creating sales, which is important because so many re- so many brands don't think of store to sales, and also experiences the landlord providing those services and experiences to make it happen, not just four walls. You know, I love it because life is about experiences now. People are not spending their money on assets they're spending it on experiences and if you walk it if you take it into where they want to get back into the malls they want to get out to have the feely touchy but also to keep it concise to the point value time um and make an experience to go with it i love it i the the concept of really honed in on me is having an established um we're going to say a, a brand and then having something else that would complement exceptionally well it's like every time you go to a concert you have someone who opens up the set for them and that person who opens up the set for the singer or for the band is then usually goes on to be very popular because the fact is the exposure bringing them to someone else's base. And that's exactly what you're doing. So I love that correlation. I think that's fantastic. So how did we get here with Shlomo? Let's talk about that. We're gonna talk about, we're talking promoting small businesses, our only hope to save retail and revive e-commerce, okay? So the idea is, is that sitting in the small business world is my, Forte is what I've been doing for the last 45 years. I mean, it's really powerful to keep everyone because every one of us, as we're independent contractors, whether in the real estate community, whether advisors, consultants, you know, integrators, all that stuff, you are an independent, you are a small business. And, and, and depending on what scale, you can go up to $50 million and higher and still be considered a small business. So rule number one, generally, e-commerce is not a profitable venture on its own. And this is kind of what we're talking about right now. So I'll elaborate a little bit more on that. So if I start a small business tomorrow and I sell things online, essentially my profits on my salary, and even if I hire some people, I'll make nice money, I'll do well, okay? But there are things that I have to be very careful of. I have to be very careful of how I bring my business in. For example, the advertising costs of bringing customers in. That could get pretty expensive. Remember, I mean, Facebook, is only this big and you say, oh, online's huge. No, it's not because you're targeting individuals. There's only a certain amount of target market out there and everyone's bidding for the same type of people. And the more people get into e-commerce, you know, we hear about so many, you know, Shopify's got so many, so many stores, et cetera, which is interesting because retail can't seem to find tenants. But Shopify's got over almost 2 million, 2 million brands on their site, which is in itself a whole different thing. Like, how do you, how do you convert it? The real estate industry hasn't figured out how to convert it yet which we have. So you have so many people competing over it. So prices for customer acquisition is what it's called customer acquisition costs. They keep on going up and you pay for every person that comes in through the ad as opposed to a store. People walk by you, that's incidental to the rent you're paying or whatever other transaction uh, structure there is in place. Um, but then you have also the delivery costs. So if I'm based, I don't know, in Long Beach, California, and I want to ship to someone in Brooklyn, New York, I'm shipping cross country. And oh, by the way, Amazon's created this expectation of next day quick delivery that I got to figure out how to do it. And I'm selling, let's say a product at a $65 average retail value. And then I need to give them free shipping or I got to do a bundle where I do multiple just to make it sense of it. 
you gotta watch your your shipping costs. But if I'm a small company, I'm okay. Why? Because I make whatever money I make, I build it up slowly, 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 slowly. There comes a point, however, that you get to be too big to just cover your costs. You need an investment system, okay? And in, as in technology, it's constantly evolving. And you constantly have to invest in these systems. And over time, these costs of customer acquisition costs, which are growing significantly, and with the latest iOS you know, releases have made it even more difficult. We don't have to go into it, but the point is it's made it more difficult to get customers at a decent price. Then you add the, the logistics cost to it, and then you add every other part of building out your organization and e-commerce, I'm sorry guys, is not profitable. Why do you think Amazon got into the advertising game, the logistics game? Well, maybe that was the plan all along. But think about if you tore an ACL or if you have a partial tear in ACL, there's two ways to go about it. One is you operate, go in. The other one is you build up the muscles around it. What Amazon essentially has done is built up businesses to support its e-commerce business, okay? And I'm curious if someone decided to, if someone had some such power over Amazon, and decided to, as activist investors decide, they split their business, AWS and retail, to see how the retail business actually fares from a profitability perspective. So I'm not curious. I know what the answer to that is. The answer is it wouldn't fare well at all, and Amazon's profitability would go through the roof. Now, maybe the valuation not because people are banking on the future, but the point is, nonetheless, e-commerce itself is a demand-driven game. You'll hear pushback like, Oh, but everyone loves e-commerce. Yes, you're right. There's sales to be done, but not at a profit. And people are not in the charity game. So, so long as the e- as long as the market keeps propping up these unprofitable e-commerce companies, it's because they are looking to the future. But over time, as the future turns more and more bleak, we have that challenge there. So e-commerce is not a profitable venture. On the flip side, on retail, you have these stores going out of business. Because the difference between e-commerce and retail is that e- and retail has very high base costs before you even start selling an item. E-commerce is mostly, mostly related to the cost of actually doing the transaction, bringing the customer in the marketing cost and shipping, right? It doesn't have the rent cost and the infrastructure could be rather low because you're, you could use third-party apps and software to be able to mirror what you do in real life, so to speak. Um, now, retail has to figure out a way to sort of learn from that a bit. So the point is, um, how can you, and rule number one is, how do you bring these two together to make e-commerce a profitable venture and to make retail relevant? Because here's something that my partner Ryan says all the time, and it's absolutely great. It used to be, if you want to discover a new product, you went to the mall. Now, if you want to discover a really cool product, it's not in the mall. It's not in the shopping center for the most part. They don't exist. You go online to Instagram. And that's and that's really cool. Well, that was the whole thing. I was going to talk about e-commerce as far as the marketing. You know, the cost of entry can be low if you want to just play in the game. But that's labor time. That's, you know, who's going to do it and what's your brand and how's it goes. And, you know, because now Shopify, you know, is coming in and, and you're going to be buying it directly online with the stores versus and going through. That's the whole the, the making of it. But, uh, you know, when we talked about the beginning where we're still going to want to have that experience where if we buy everything digitized, oh, this is not what I wanted. Oh, I like this brand, but this, you know, because you can go into 
fashion, for example, I mean, yeah, let's go back to clothing, is, is that the quality of cars, the quality of clothing has, has evolved to where it's not made like it used to be made. And so if you're buying for a product, I don't care how much you're paying for something. If you're buying something, you want to expect what it's going to be like. And if you find over a period of, say, from last time you bought to some this time, some new manufacturers manufacturing, they've changed vendors, they got different supplies. And it's something as simple as make it, something as simple as, you know, they stop making a product because it's not profitable. That whole quality of making it, you have to see it because if you buy a whole case of it and like, oh, I don't like this, gonna send it back. That time to repackage rep and put it back in and send it back, that logistic you become as the consumer, your own repackaging. Yes, it saves you time from driving back to go deliver it. But then what are you doing? Adding your own, your own. Uh, if you only have a small apartment, like say in, in New York City and down in Manhattan, you become, okay, I'm just shipping back and forth. You know, it's logistically, I think space has becomes the real issue. So I love the concept. So, you know, let's, let's take a break real quick regarding your employment. You got here that you've been working five years here doing, you know, as the um, manager partner, you've got what, 14, almost 15 years, you know, doing debt restructuring and making sure the turnaround, what's going on. I mean, so your commodity, your ask right now for people wanting you is got to be off the chart because you look in the family office space, you look at, you know, people who have all these commercial and retail space, what are they going to do to repurpose it? So it's not just the retail side, you're able to see from the years of experience and what's going on, what's been working, doing the books, figuring it out from behind the scenes. And now I look at you as someone who's coming out and saying, hey, this is what we could do to change. I want to be part of that game, right? So I I've been, yeah, I've, I've been very lucky in my career um, to be surrounded by some really talented and experienced people, but not, you know, now when I was in school for marketing, I was always, I always said to myself, you know, my teacher, at the time was the former brand manager of Tylenol. And often you have teachers that aren't in the business, the line of business, but they actually you know, just are teachers because not just obviously it's important, but they teach, they don't do, right? Um, and there's the difference between philosophical and practical. And I've always had a bias towards action. And, you know, I've been very lucky to be surrounded by people who have made not only just made money, but done really fascinating things in their life and also have experience in areas and the ability to convey that experience where others may not, right? And with that, I've been able to uh, be provided opportunities. You know, I don't come from a background from a, you know, area where we got, you know, not, not an area, but sort of, I didn't belong to a country club as a kid. I don't belong to a fraternity. I, you know, I'm not, uh, yeah, I know. What are you going to do? <laughs> I mean, but, come you know, on. Yeah, but the point is, I don't have those, but I was able to establish relationships with individuals who have done things. And that has led me to have exposure into multiple different aspects. And it's lent itself towards my mindset of being a problem solver, right? I don't think, I don't think from a business strategy perspective or from a, a career perspective, I never looked at it as like, hey, I want to do what everyone else is doing right, just with incremental change. Like I wanna take on a project that is obviously in need of fix and I wanna solve it. And, and going into the debt restructuring side of things, right? So 
there were loans made to borrowers that are called CMBS loans, that are securitized debt, that no one knew how to deal with them, right? Because the only, the only perspective we had was the RTC days when banks had mortgages they had to get rid of and they sold it at a crazy discount. But what came out of the RTC is the creation of the CMBS. And you ended up having a situation where your local banker, so to speak, not that he was a banker, controlling the CMBS did not have a vested interest in what you, in, in the loan, right? He's, his interest was to follow a set of rules. And I was able to see that and come up with strategies to sort of um, solve the problems in the area of distressed debt for borrowers, where otherwise they fail until today. Borrowers that, are not, that don't understand what it takes to restructure debt fail, I would say, almost all the time, 80% plus, right? And I've been able to sort of pick that apart. How did I do that? Because I had an attorney friend that said, hey, Shlomo, this is the area you should look at because I've been doing a bunch of this stuff you know, for on as a, as a lender's attorney, you should look at the stuff. And I downloaded the docs from the SEC, and I taught myself, and I got a lucky break from someone, right? And that's how I got myself into the business. Um, on the on the retail logistics side, I looked at it. I saw a problem in real life. I said, I got to solve it. How do I solve it? And everyone, a lot of people around me, almost everyone was like, that doesn't make sense. Why would you ever convert retail land into industrial? or to add industrial to retail, retail land is so much more expensive than industrial, right? And the biggest of guys in the industry is like, get out of your mind. And I thank God I had the presence of mind to file patents because now they're like, oh, okay, this actually has some legs. And, you know, to be honest, I initially second guess myself, like, how am I coming up? I'm not a retail guy. I'm not a logistics guy. Yeah, I'm a real estate guy, but how am I the one coming up with this stuff? So I, I was lucky sort of to be surrounded by people who were able to sort of poke holes in it. And even if I didn't agree with them, I knew I had the best possible people giving me the best shot. So, so that's, you know, so that's how I, I sort of, my career has gone. Um, and on the debt restructuring side, it's been about helping borrowers in an area where they couldn't help themselves and the attorneys can't help them. On the retail side, it's like, okay, we have this, amount you know a lot of space available we don't have a lot of tenants how do we find tenants right and this simple binary questions is able to dig into and come up with these with these concepts and thank god you know so far so good with regards to what i've been uh, been putting out there well you know it warms me because I, i'm listening to you talk and you really are about the ecosystem of problem solving for the commercial retail space right you talked about industrial with retail and vice versa going back into it, the hybrid of what you're talking about small businesses so you're expanding to make sure that as we evolve what happens two years ago five years ago and what happened today and what happens in the future you're constantly problem solving saying what can we do in the future? Because what we do today is not always going to be perfect for the next five years or 10 years. I mean, because it's going to constantly evolve, you know, and that to me, because you work behind the scenes and now you're coming in and you're looking from a fresh point of eye saying, I've got to be sustainable. I've got to make sure that gets done. But knowing that the small businesses are the disruptor, they're the ones that are creating their own space. They're creating their own passion. And you're making sure that the physical space being land not the building but the land itself it sits on and then the building structure you put on it and the experiences in those buildings are connected and the e-commerce of how you're applying together and you do it from a 
a, a business end of, of the monetary value they have now, but then you're looking at the future going, okay, how do I make sure we still stay connected? Like you said, the biggest thing that I get this takeaway is that, that environment of saying, I'm just giving you a loan, I'm getting my paycheck, I'm taking it home, I'm done, I'm gone. I don't care about your strength. And that's where in real estate selling homes, you know, yeah, you're about, this is my personal life. This is where my kids are raised. You have a personalization to it. In commercial, A, it's a brick and mortar building. It's there and here. Thank you very much. I'm done and gone because there's no love. There's no warmth. There's no um, um, connectivity. And you're saying, no, I've invested you, especially the value. I mean, hundred millions, you know, billions of dollars, huge dollar amounts, which can make or break your institutions, right? So so what's, what's interesting, you know, there's okay i'll just come out and say it i mean the biggest issues with with uh, silicon valley is that they're looking for the future without looking for today right there's the question of the bridge right we want to inhabit mars we want to go to mars it's great all nice and good how do we get from here to there like what's the thing so it sort of almost feels like like take e-commerce for example right e-commerce such a great thing oh crap we got an issue of returns okay we'll start a business about returns so basically you have like the the solutions come after right but the problem is implementation. The problem is what we're having now in retail, what you're seeing is that there's this gap. There's this gap between what's here today, what's here tomorrow, and everyone's falling down here. Everyone, I don't care who it is. The fact that Amazon is doing well and amazing, that's great. The reality is it's because the stock price is pumped up and because they have AWS, right? If you take a look at Walmart, right? Walmart missed opportunity like crazy. They have stores in every market. They have micro-performance centers in every market, but yet they decided to go and go away from the past of Sam Walton and actually look towards, you know, the future of bringing in so on, forgive me, like Mark Lore, who's focused just on e-commerce and, and actually go against advice of people within the company to, to focus on their stores as the local micro-fulfillment, but they could have dominated the market and they probably ceded an industry-leading position to Amazon in the process, right? So the point is, there, there is that gap that we find, right? On the flip side, in the conventional real estate side of things, they're not concerned about the future. Here's the thing. It's about finance, about finance, about finance, about cashing out my money. So I'm making my money. I want to go on vacation now for two weeks. You know, my, my daughter's got a place in, you know, St. Croix or whatever it is, and I'm going, right? I'm enjoying myself. I'm going to disappear for a month. Oh, that refinancing is taking, taking, uh, taking place seven months down the road. I'll be back in time to go and collect my check, right? And yes, there are very talented people within the real estate organizations that actually make this thing work but it's about four walls. It's about the retailer telling them what they need. When you have a small business, small business doesn't know what they want. And not to say you should inflict on them what you think they want, but you need to work with them to guide them. And, if, and, and what, what real estate owners do not understand, many of them do not understand is that this is their future because JCPenney is not taking space. And if they are, you don't want it anymore. Sears is not taking space anymore. Sports Authority doesn't exist. I go through it. It's probably sound pretty cool when I go through all these, all these lists. But the point is, they're not here. Who put them out of business? A bunch of guys that you won't take into your shopping center unless they give you the proper credit, they put up enough money to build out their space and can operate on their own. And oh, by the way, they may not exist after a while because they couldn't cover the cost, right? Because mm -hmm. real estate is a losing proposition because it's all about e-commerce. Oh, by the way, which is also, you can't make much. To yeah, okay, uh, we need to get another round of funding. That's literally how it works, right? And, and people are missing the point. The point needs to be to gradually help business go up. And there's tremendous opportunity in that space. 
And just going back to your returns concept, right? You're going back to, you know, just packaging returns, sending it back and thinking you can get the same, get the right thing back in return on the exchange and waiting for that. I mean, what's the deal? Instant gratification seems to be something that should be present in e-commerce. Actually, hold on. Amazon's investing billions in getting as close to instant gratification as possible, right? But yet they're the future and retail is not. There's something not adding up over here. So the truth is retail as it is today is not the future, I agree with you. I agree with anyone that says that. But e-commerce as it is today is certainly not the future. So there has to be some type of a blend. So what we found is, you know, when you take um, two recipes, take salt and pepper and put it on a steak, right? The salt on its own, the pepper on its own won't work. You put them together and something magical happens, right? And the reality is that that's, you know, sorry if you see that the analogy, but the point is that when you take two things together and the sum of its parts, are, the, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, that's when you've succeeded. And that's what we're trying to do. And it, it, it's, it's a massive undertaking, but the way we're going about it, like I just alluded to before, is actually taking steps that could be executed today. Not like, oh my gosh, we need to convert the shopping center to something amazing with, no. We take existing shopping centers and adding components to it that slowly transition and it's profitable today and it's profitable every step of the way and getting to a point where you basically have this new type of new type of concept, new type of retail. So, um, yeah. I love it. <laughs> it's, it's, you're, you're, you're applying the skill set that the residential side has been using for whether we do, you know, BTRs or short rentals or conversions or what they're doing, you know, not just say, you know what, it's costing X amount of dollars, we have $3,000 a month if I rent it out, but gee, I can make $6,000 a month if I do short term rental in here, you know, so why would I do that? And then I still get to live here. I know people who are renting out their personal homes. I'm like, are you crazy? They're like, no, we rent out a person. I can never do that to mine, as we know, because I'm a hoarder of, of antiques, but taking their personal homes, renting it out, and then they're they're going on travels. So they're paying for the vacation. Their home is, is being paid for a mortgage within two months the entire year. So why not? You know, you think about it, that's just incredible. So you're doing the same thing commercially, if you think about it in the retail space or however you reuse that. And there's so many different components. So I love love. So let's get on to rule number two. And this is where the small businesses really pay out. Like we've been talking about retail space can not only be evaluated by in-store sales, but it can't charge rent based on e-commerce either. So we've been talking about that merge. So we related to, in my opinion, the ability to hybrid them together. So if you were, what percentage do you think would should be as you're doing this evolution? So if you were to say, hey, what's gonna be look like in a year? What's gonna look like in two years? If you were to put a crystal ball on that. So I, I think I think rule number two is is really a problem facing the industry, right? And it's somewhat a narrow-minded problem. I think you know because retail space, um, if you based on what's going on in the market and the popularity of e popularity of e-commerce and the fact that brands and retailers have not been able to properly merge it, store sales have been down, either because a the retails themselves have not evolved as a business and have the proper merchandising. Like take Apple, Lululemon, and they seem to be doing well, but many others don't. And then they sell online. But at the same time, you can't, a, a landlord can't tell a retailer, oh, I want you to pay me. I want you to evaluate your store based on online sales as well, because there's no attribution model between the in-store sales and the online sales. 
So essentially what you have is a retailer coming and saying, I'm not doing any sales in the store. How could I justify the store? Lionel is saying, well, you're doing great sales. And says, hold on, I paid for that out of a totally different PL. I pay, you know, I, I, you know, I bought advertising and things like that. And, but it's been on the flip side, it's been proven you close down a store, it decreases the e-commerce volume in a market significantly. So I, you know, so what, like, what do you do, right? And, and I think, and I think what's important is for retailers to break down the silos between online and offline and for landlords to do the same as well, right? Meaning, um, you know, it's been spoken forever that a retailer that has an online business and an in-store business, they're not maximizing things. Let's just think of it in the most extreme example. And it's not too extreme because this is the way it used to be, or it still is in some companies. You have a huge warehouse that assembles cases of product to be sent to individual stores. And then you have another warehouse that has the individual products out that when an order comes in, you pick one shampoo, one tuna can, you send it as opposed to a case of shampoo, a case of tuna can, right? A case of tuna can. So, so these are two separate things. Technically, you could be out of stock in one and in stock in the other and lose business in one side when the reality is if it was merged as one, you could actually make do the sales and make money, right? So just think about the breaking down of silos between a brand between online and offline is something that's been spoken about retail and the trade press for the longest time that it needs to be done. But from a landlord's perspective, you need to break down that silo too. You know, I saw JLL had a study, Christian Wake, all these com- all these companies have studies about the massive need for for warehouses in this country. And it's, but yet at the, at the same time, you have these malls and shopping centers that have vacancies. And the best solution people have is let's, let's knock it down and build something. Or let's convert a space into, into logistics. When in reality, if you think about it, wouldn't it be great? And I'll flip it around. Wouldn't it be great if you had a retail store in every fulfillment center where all the product is there? Or how about if you had a fulfillment center right by every retail store? So the customer experience, yes, that's the right way to go. But how do you make it work? So the point is, when you break down the barriers between online and offline, as a landlord, you can provide a set of services that makes the retailer profitable, helps the retailer break down those silos and makes that retailer be able to survive long-term and be do it profitably. And you can own it. So when you talk about the need for warehouses, I contend that's overheated. We have way too many warehouses. We don't have enough retail stores acting as fulfillment centers. And yes, I don't believe in fulfill from store, but I believe in fulfill by store. Well, that's more technical I'm not gonna get into. But the point is the shopping centers should be the base for e-commerce. And if it's the base of e-commerce, it actually makes things work. And once you figure that out, you find that the store becomes profitable because A, the store size is smaller. B, you share resources. C, you have more product to sell out of the store, and people can actually touch and feel it. And 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 D, they could do they could they could bring in their returns and turn them into exchanges. And I go EFG, etc. But the point is, it actually helps each other. So this whole debate of do I pay based on my retail sales? Do I consider e-commerce as part of it, or could I even take deductions based on e-commerce returns to the store? For my sales, if I have a percentage sales structure with my landlord, all that's beside the point. These you guys are missing the point. That's besides it, right? You're arguing over, you know, the color of the paint. That's what you're arguing over. Don't argue over the color of the paint. Argue over how the things should be structured. And that's from rule number two: is retail space. If you look at it in its own right, it doesn't make sense. If I had a car, right, 
The fact that I could drive in a car doesn't do anything for me. But the fact that by driving in a car, I could take from one place to the other, that's the bigger picture. We need to zoom out from the forest and look at the trees. I disagree with you. Driving a car does do something for me. As a mother, it puts my baby to sleep when they were little. So it does <laughs> do something for me. So I just want to, and <clears throat> we're not- I can back you up on that, yes. <laughs> right? Yes. So, uh, and I'm not going to ask you how many kids you have because- <clears throat> Anyway, so, <laughs> and everyone knows I have four adults, so that's all good. They're all boys, they're all grown up. Uh, we'll debate on that, but that's beside the point. Anyway, so. <laughs> are you gonna are you gonna record this so your kids can see it? It's this? all recorded. Remember? Oh this? my it's god! Live. We're 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 going. We're live, dude. We're live. Des so all the Desiree, the the one with the guilty conscience and not giving you a birthday the birthday gift this year. Yeah, no, there, it is what it is. You know, at this point in life, it is, you know, being present is all that's out. And that's what our NDLC principles is being present because being being alive, being in an environment. And you brought, I was smiling the whole time you were talking because I, I've got to be in the forefront of all this kind of good stuff because I remember the day when I used to go to all the sample cells, whether it be St. John, NITS, whether it be Gotcha, whether it be all the different products and services I've worked over the year and, and exactly what you're talking about. What did they do? You went to their fulfillment center and the very front of it was where, where they have all the pickup. Well, the whole pickup would then be converted to where they had all the samples for and also the actual merchandise that they were selling from the warehouse. So it is exactly what you're describing. They would have, you know, 15, 20% of the front of the store would be all the, the they convert it to where you could go in and all the shoppers come and thousands of people would come um, and you get, I get to go in because I was employees, whatever, whatever. But I'd go in there and then you see all the racks and racks and racks that went for miles because that was the fulfillment center, right? And so everyone would go, where did you buy that? Oh my God, you know, can I get some of this? So they'd run it for like two weeks, you know, it was a boom, 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 high volume hog. But they sold more merchandise out of that, that sale of the fulfillment center being turned over. But the thing was, is that people got to see the merchandise because of fact, the buzz was there. And that's what you're really doing in that sense. And I started that 25, 35 years ago. We're not talking five years or 15 years ago. So I want to say, well, I, I take that back. First one I went to is when I was 12. So we're talking 49 years ago. Yes, sorry, older than you. But anyway, so yeah, the concept is think about it. You have you have the fulfillment, like you said. Do we put a fulfillment on the retail? We put the retail on the fulfillment. I love it. Okay, rule number three. So, uh, just, just imagine if they were able to fulfill e-commerce from that warehouse. Oh, imagine, imagine if they were micro warehouses in every city in the country, and they'd be able to ship certain distances next day for the price of ground. And I could go on with the imagines forever. But it's just it's just literally e-commerce in a store or store in e-commerce or whatever you want to call it. It's all commerce. It's all one thing. The fact that it's separate has more to do with the fact that the industry is so slow and innovating. And therefore they had to look at a separate PL and they still look at a separate asset classes than anything else. This is I wondered why, maybe by choice or by luck, whatever. I was, I was raised in Camarillo, Ventura County, lived in Irvine for the last 28 years, and both of them been the hubs of fulfillment centers, whether it be in the hardware, the software, the, I mean, the hardware or, or agricultural or, or our fashion industry. 
so much has been here. And I've had the opportunity to go to so many different stores to buy at three cents on the dollar. This is, this is, a, this, I never even thought of it, Shlomo. This is so cool. So rule number three, traditional methods of financing, which is the biggest thing in access to capital, real estate is the core of retail challenges. So if you think about the landlords, if I can interject real quick, everything we're talking about is how a landlord can help um, the small business and, and be partners in this transaction. So I'd love to hear your thoughts before I go off on my little craziness. So one of the things that attracted me to real estate when I was a kid um, was that it's really great possibilities from a wealth creation perspective. You don't have to manage vendors. You don't have to manage, you know, go out with salesmen every day. Basically, once you got your tenant, they sign a lease. You have the income coming in. You could finance it. Value goes up. You could refinance it. You could take out cash that's not taxable because it's a loan. You could then use 1030 once to go into another. It's, it's a massive creator of wealth. And the drive behind it is comes from institutional capital looking to... Um, looking to find the yield, if you will, right? And the problem, however, is this structuring of commercial real estate to satisfy investors that don't understand commercial real estate. Why? Because you create a box and that investor is comfortable investing in a box with no deviations. Um, and if you take a look, for example, Fannie and Freddie, right? They're still making commercial real estate residential loans, multifamily loans. And Fannie and Freddie was intended to encourage financing of, of an asset class that wasn't exciting to people, but they're still making those loans, right? Which it's all about, you know, because there's a hunger from investors out there. Well, in addition to that, okay, the deal with Fannie and Freddie, just because I went off a bit over there. The deal with Fannie and Freddie essentially is that um, they're still making loans where perhaps it doesn't fit the original thought process behind some of the thought process behind the charter, right? So if it, and that's all about, you know, it was all, and th that was because there wasn't institutional capital available, but now there's institutional capital available for that type of stuff. So perhaps there's something we should look at it, you know, maybe we shouldn't be doing that anymore. Well, similar, similarly, you have just like selling to, pe to people with backed by Fannie and Freddie, you also have loans that are sold to others that are not backed by Fannie and Freddie, where you have commercial properties. And those commercial properties, um, I think are, um, they have to be structured in a way to entice lenders to make loans. So you need to have long-term leases, you need to have credit tenants, you need to have a lot of different things in place in order to entice these lenders to make the most attractive loans. The problem is small businesses don't have the that credit level, small businesses may not be able to give you a long-term lease that's worth anything. And small businesses may require you to actually, as a landlord, invest money in a space. Problem is that your lender may not be comfortable with you giving the money to invest in the space that you'd otherwise give to a larger tenant, which means you're stuck chasing a larger tenant that may have better credit per se, but not better viability. And so long as traditional financing for commercial real estate is focused on the term of the lease and is focused on um, credit tenants as opposed to viable tenants, then you're going to have a problem putting new types of tenants into your shopping center. 
And that's something that comes from this, this standardization of normalization of properties or of tenants to look at it as a, are they credit, are they not credit? What's the property type? What's not the property type as opposed to digging in deep and the underwriting process behind it. So whereas if I was giving a, a I was giving a loan to a corporation, I would dig into the business. Now I'm giving a loan to a corporation. I'm gonna have to dig in because we've structured such a box that it doesn't matter what's in it. So long as there's a lease and it officially has the credit that you need, which ends up in a situation where the landlord doesn't have money necessarily funded to him to invest in innovation and he can invest in new and up and coming tenants. So traditional methods of financing real estate are at the core of retail's challenge. You know, again, my mind just going hundred miles an hour, as you know, and I'm thinking when you buy a home, it's not about always the credit. It's about the storytelling. It's about the access to their growth and what they can accomplish and how well they're positioned to maybe right now it's not perfect, but it's going to get better and things are going on. So you have to tell your story. You're basically saying the same thing to commercial. Tell your story on these small businesses and what their potential is and what they're going down to it. And if you put and curate to where the lenders, the challenges have to actually look at the bigger play and not just about, like you say, being completely oblivious to what's in front of them other than here's the numbers, here's the assets, here what we have down, here's the lease, here's the numbers, let's move on, right? We're gonna give the loan. So putting together a storyteller on how you have created this environment that as a landlord, you're invested into your tenants, you're invested into their future. And, and you said at the very beginning, you're not renting them four walls. You're renting them the four walls and the, the success as a mentorship, as a prodigy, as a way to connect the dots to make them successful. Because if they're successful, you're successful. So that, that ideology is keeping them in their it's not just you're giving them the right to sell. You're giving you're becoming their partner, even though you're physically not an owner of them, but their success is your success. And I think that's the challenge and the way that we can address the institutional funds and the private fund money, whether it's venture capital, it's family offices or whatever. I think that is the, the, the storytelling that's, that we have to get, go to. So, you know, as investors, right, we always look at the angle. Right. Like, how do we take what the industry is doing and do an end around and get ourselves to profits at higher levels that we eventually spin off and sell a whole long term, um, et cetera, right? I think the biggest challenge that um, these retailers, that these lenders have, is that they're looking at, well, let me say it like this. They need to realize the leases they have are not worth the paper they're written on, just look at COVID, and that the properties that they lend against are being deteriorated by their imagination that these leases are worth something. What do I mean by that? When a tenant lends against a lease, they're essentially bonding the lease. We could all agree that a lot of retail tenants are not worth to be bonded. They, they're not bond, I mean, they can't lend against just the lease. They're lent, but what makes it worthwhile for them to do it? Why do they do it? Because there's the property. There's ultimately the property. Now, a property, especially a retail property, requires people to visit. If people don't visit, then it's the old thing, you know, the flow of traffic moves to the other side of town, and therefore the side of town is dead right now, right? 
if you don't have the proper tenant mix in a shopping center, you are moving the flow of traffic to some other guy who's going to build a shopping center or build something else that'll attract people. So you're essentially fooling yourself to believe that some of these leases are bondable and you're lending against it, when in reality, you're, you should not be lending against the lease. You should be lending against the property. And what's rule one when it comes to the property? It needs to be viable long-term because your lease, your, your loans are 10 years out, right? You can't, if you make a loan today based on, you know, I don't know, TJ Maxx signing a new 30,000 square foot space, which they don't do those anymore. Well, the reality is TJ Maxx will not need another 30,000 square foot space moving forward. And they've changed their, pro, their prototype for that, you know, specifically on that front, right? So the point being is that what are you lending against really and own it? And the opportunity is to look at it from a perspective of we're actually lending against the property and how you can make the property viable long-term. The challenge that with that is, is that now you're like, oh, I'm in a real estate investor. I'm not a business investor. I don't want to invest in businesses. But you know what? Wake up. Real estate is a business, right? These Retail is a business. And if you don't feel comfortable investing in retail, and sorry, in a hotel, you probably shouldn't invest in retail because it's not as simple as there's five other properties here on my comps, here on my leases, because everything is different. Everything is different from property to property. And it's a normalization that has brought about the securitization game, which ranges from a Fannie to a CMBS or whatever it is, that normalization is oversimplification. And in a constantly changing market where technology is changing, where customer, where, where shopper, shopper preferences are changing, that doesn't work. Standardization does not work at all. You know, you hit up a point about the lifestyles. You know, we haven't talked about that, but you, when you talk about it's not just, you know, five, the mix going from, you know, this side of the town to that side of town, creating that experience, creating the hybrid, creating the entire, you know, what, what's the mix, you know, you have, you put a play together, you've got to make sure that all the components of the play, the right stage, the right environment, the right food, the right, everything has to play into the same space. You're doing that same thing with the, as a landlord of a retail space and that commercialization of how you utilize it. So taking that experience, and I really believe that that's the future on, on, on buying, leasing, and you're helping the landlord. You're, I mean, you're helping the landlord on the financing and getting it, but you also access capital, but you're also helping a small business scale and you're creating the community wins. At the end of the day, the community wins because it keeps it alive because you want to have what's in your local, what's going to support it and who's going to come versus then going to the other side of the town. Yeah, people need to ask themselves, do they want Amazon, Walmart, and Target? Or do they want to have assortment, right? These guys are mass merchandisers. You want the experience. Now, experience for the longest time, and this is where Walmart's, I'm sorry, not Walmart, retail's been going through its identity crisis. Oh, what's so great about Amazon? Oh, it's experience. Well, we need to be experiential. Oh, great. Let's put a, uh, I don't know, a, a huge aquarium in the middle of the mall, right? Those are theoretical far-fetched ideas like let's populate mars because the world is getting is deteriorating from a from a from an environmental perspective right that's just theoretical honestly silly stuff right you need to be practical how do you turn experiences into sales because if you don't have sales tenants don't survive and the concept of a store is marketing it doesn't work that's like using a diamond as a paperweight right it's just like yes it does work technically but you're sort of misusing it, right? So the point, the point is people need to ask themselves, how do I practically bring 
um, this economy, commerce, into whatever century, 21st, 22nd century, whatever, moving on. And it's not about, it's not about living yesterday. It's not about living in the moment. It's about taking yesterday, correcting the, the moment and moving it forward to the future. I love it. I love it. So we're out of time, actually. I can't believe time just flying so fast. So um, here we go. We're going to do a recap of the three rules. Generally, e-commerce is not a profitable venture on its own. Number two, retail space can not only be evaluated by in-store sales, but it can't charge rent based on e-commerce either. We dove into that really deep. And number three, traditional methods of financing real estate is at the core of retail challenges. Yes, I helped give that storytelling there. And that's where that value storytelling. So number, the, the tip of the day, would you like to read it? Um, yeah, I mean, to succeed, landlords need to do more than just lease space. They need to provide services. And what we're doing is providing a suite of services to brands that not only allows them to go from being a small brand in a display in our micro store, a multiple brand store, to maybe a shop in a shop space and then eventually to have their own salon grow them through the process because we have the services. So essentially we have an incubation, but also once a retailer is with us, when they become a retailer, they have all the services of some of the top retailers, e-commerce companies out there and infrastructure, they don't have to leave anywhere else. So we own that tenant, which allows us to do so many things and so many opportunities. And it's a true partnership. So in short, when a retailer, when a brand comes in, we charge them zero rent. We actually charge, we actually just take a percent of the sales. We outfit the space for them or the display. We help them grow. We help complement their products by merchandising a total store around them, not just putting them down side by side, brand, 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 right? and then help them go through the process and then stay with them forever. So we're actually building a portfolio of real estate. We yes. control our tenants because our tenants are on our infrastructure and our platform. I'm not gonna say control, how about enhance? How about help? Um, there's a retail term, in real estate, it's like you control the, you control the deal, you control the tenant, right? It's not that we control what they do on a daily basis, right. but rather, it's at, we know we open a space. We don't have to compete between a universe of tenants with someone else because our intellectual property and our structure allows us to bring tenants from other locations and to bring them into our locations. So we have a tenant in pocket at all times. That's what well, my, my, my point is, is that because I'm with, we're going to dive in and close this out on how do we get a hold of Shlomo? Because I want to say from an investment opportunity, if you want to invest with what Shlomo is doing, if you want to be a small business and be part of his ecosystem. Um, and that's why I said the control word is that you want to be a partner. You want someone, you know, they always say, and how do I, I have this great product. How do I scale it? Well, think about it. If there's something that you really like and you'd like to have it in your, your portfolio, this is an opportunity. So those of you who are the small business who want to be involved, here's a, someone who's going to help you zero entry. You guess you give some of your sales away at the point, a percentage of it, but it's it's always great to have that notoriety. Actually, yeah, actually, actually in our structure, they're more profitable than they did it on their own in the store. There and you as, go. Soon as, as soon as they could stand on their own and just want to take the space as everyone else wants them to take the space. And we believe they could stand on their own because we don't just want to put people out there to fail. They can go do their thing. Well, see, there you go. So I call it from the, from the small business side, 
you have someone who wants to partner with you and invest in you with their own real estate space. So I'm gonna take that. Equity. I there you go. So I want to keep I exactly not take equity. Just in what if you if you sell and make money, they make money. So keep that into the investment side as a partnership. And the other side from the real estate lending side, you're then offering the control side you want to talk about the terminology to go with it. So how do we get a hold of Shlomo? So I'm, you know, people could message me on LinkedIn. Um, um, I'll respond to anyone. Um, the concept website is retailos.com. Um, and my company is caseing.com. And um, just open to chat with anyone. Uh, we also have some announcements coming out with regard to some thought leadership that we're doing around this whole concept. But it's not about us. I mean, we'll have a nice share of the market, but it's about spreading the word and spreading what we're doing. Um, so yeah, I'm open to talking to um, anyone that has something you know that they'd like to discuss about this. Value add. This is what we're all doing. And thank you, thank you, Shlomo, for this. And so this makes into an exceptional um, opportunity because what's going to happen kicking off next week, uh, we're actually going to do the housing ecosystem. So real estate and housing ecosystem. And this is where Shlomo and everyone else that is part of this ecosystem is so powerful because starting on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday on Clubhouse, we'll probably start at four or five o'clock for an hour, very hard, one hour. And we're going to be talking about DNI. We're going to be talking about business ownership. And we're going to be talking about, this is where that partnership we could talk about. We're talking about real estate of all four verticals. We're talking about where Shlomo definitely will be involved in um, all the different aspects of that. Then we're talking about STEM. We're talking access to capital, which is another platform we get. And we're talking about the aging population. So if you look at that dynamics, how is that going to be? And so for three volumes, there'll be every week, we'll rotate them. And we're gonna have very deep dive discussions. So we have at least 50 different uh, topics we're gonna be discovering. So there's gonna be so much out there. And why, as you just heard today, he's partnering with the small businesses. Doesn't matter what kind of small business, if it fits in the mix of the lifestyle creation that he's put in that environment that's gonna be local to the community, it's huge because that's what the fulfillment center is supposed to be the backbone of what the local community is going to get versus them putting something in that the biggest business is going to be on the East coast versus the West coast. So those are value adds. So I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. I'm Desiree Patno. Um, I'm on the West coast and Shlomo's on the East coast. We keep doing this. I mean, what, what's going on. Um, and so we have this every um, Wednesday, that's at 8 a.m. Uh, Pacific Standard Time. It's know the rules of game. I trademark because why? These are the things that we want to bring to the table. So you can get a hold of me and um, Desiree Patno on LinkedIn, get a hold of Shlomo and Shlomo Top on, on LinkedIn also. So everyone, please be safe, stay healthy. And until next week, we'll see you with David Morrell from uh, Vancouver, uh, Disrupting Real Estate, another great uh, powerhouse. So everyone be safe and, and stay healthy again. So thank you very much for your time, Shlomo. I'll see you, I guarantee you tonight or sometime during the day. All right, take care and thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. All right, take care.